Moments like the FBI raid are reflecting the historical and dangerous actions in countries far less free than the U.S. We should take note of the parallels in action and not look for identical implementations in our own time. Too many times people will say, well, it can't happen here because after all, there's no gulag. After all, there's no gas chamber. But the naive person is the one who believes that it's dangerous when it's the same. You are listening to the Solomon's Corner Podcast, a place for thinkers. Join us as we explore the depths of theology, philosophy, and the Christian intellectual life. Welcome to the Solomon's Corner Podcast, a place for thinkers. I'm your host, Daniel Roberts. Before we dive into this wonderful podcast, well, pretty depressing podcast, I guess, please remember to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I may or may have not had a conversation with a publicist of a famous author in the current novel thriller genre who shall remain nameless, let the reader, I guess in this case listener, understand. For those that know, you know. Um, But we really need reviews in order to get some of these great authors onto the podcast. So please, if you have not already, please go and leave us a five-star, not a one, because one does not mean good in this context, a five. Five is better. We're not playing golf, folks. We're playing... Apple Podcasts. So, on Apple Podcasts, for a lot of these publicists, that's what they use to determine whether or not a podcast is a good place for their author to interview. So, please go to the Solomon's Corner Podcast and on Apple Podcasts and write a review for us. And so, in honor of this little fun request that we have for you, I'm going to read some of the reviews of what people are saying of our podcast. The first one, and if you leave one too, also, you will have your podcast review read aloud. So make sure it's flattering, make sure it's it's really good and makes us just sound great because you know what the Bible says, you know, don't pump up yourself. Instead, read other people's reviews of your podcast for you. Dynamic critical thoughts from Redhead Blue Hose, a podcast that affords a light dose of humor alongside the strife of every day. Wait till you hear the humor in this one. Christians whom are embattled in a time when their beliefs may cost them everything. The truth, or truths, discussed here allow for important reflection and will hopefully stir those inclined to appropriate action to stand with truth. Come, listen, reflect, and share this with friends for debate or unity. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully you have friends that want to listen. <laughs> Great podcast. Thank you, Redhead Blue Hose. Very much appreciated. We will continue to read podcast reviews at the beginning of every podcast from this point on to remind you all to share, but also review. So without further ado, you can follow us on Twitter, Solomon's Corner, although who knows for how long you can do that. So you can also follow us on Truth Social. And uh, I'm Thomistic Dan on Twitter. Once again. Who knows how much longer I'll be there, especially after some of my tweets this week. Anyway, today we're going to be talking about 
FBI raids, and Stalin's Article 58. So let's just dive right into it with a quote from Jack Carr's The Terminal List. I always say that wrong. The Terminal List. It's that L on the end and L in the beginning. Quote from him. This is from his prologue of the New York Times bestseller thriller. He says, The consolidation of power at the federal level in the guise of public safety is a national trend and should be guarded against at all costs. The erosion of rights, however incremental, is the slow death of freedom. We have reached a point where the power of the federal government is such that they can essentially target anyone of their choosing. Recent allegations that government agencies may have targeted political opponents should alarm all Americans, regardless of party affiliation. Revisionist views of the Constitution by opportunistic politicians and unelected judges with agendas that reinterpret the Bill of Rights to take power away from the people and consolidate it at the federal level threaten the core principles of the Republic. As a free people, keeping federal power in check is something that should be of concern to us all. The fundamental value of freedom is what sets us apart from the rest of the world. We are citizens, not subjects, and we must stay ever vigilant that we remain so. That's Jack Carr, the terminalist, the prologue. He's a former Navy SEAL and also is the uh, inspiration behind the Amazon Prime number one series, The Terminalist. Man, it would be crazy if we got enough reviews on Apple Podcasts to get him on the show, you know? Maybe, you know, just... Throwing it out there, what if? The biggest news story in recent memory was the Dobbs case overturning Roe v. Wade. This has been, oh, and by the way, I want to I say this. That quote was from 2017. That is not a, you know, that book was written in, I think, 2018. But when he wrote the prologue, I guess it was while he was writing. The biggest news story in recent memory was the Dobbs case overturning Roe v. Wade. But this has been overshadowed by a political nightmare. We never thought would come to the United States or believed had ever occurred in the U.S. I would like to address this naivete with history from the United States and Stalin's infamous Article 58. And in the end, discuss in these dark times how survival cannot be the motivation for our speech and action. But right now we're dealing with a lot of excuses. And so... At the risk of sounding like another political bobblehead, not that there's anything wrong with bobbleheads, but my hope is to shed some philosophical light on the epistemic brainwashing that is happening. And epistemic is just a fancy word for knowledge. So brainwashing your knowledge or making you think things are true that aren't. My concern is that we may be experiencing a dialectical moment According to Gulag Survivor, Nobel Prize winner Alexander Solzhenitsyn, whom you have probably heard of on this podcast, this was the quote-unquote interpretive method used by the Soviet secret police and their courts in order to arbitrarily imprison and punish political opponents, who, of course, were never labeled quote-unquote political opponents, but rather criminals. The question for us today, is Trump a political opponent or a criminal? The ambiguity of the question presents in and of itself a problem. There are those that will eagerly await their perception to be given to them by the FBI, and when it is given to them, they will breathe a sigh of relief when it comes. While we may look back on this day, or others will look back on this day, as 
a day when we lost many freedoms, I don't believe that we have lost all freedoms yet. However, like a rope sitting out in the heat of the sun, they are fraying and losing their strength in the politic as well as in the consciences of individuals who are also joining our military and investigative forces. People don't understand causes and their effects. Too many times people think that an effect that has appeared happened out of nowhere. But in actuality, there was a slow progression of causes that led to the effect that they now have to endure. They don't understand that subsequent generations do not have the same ideas, beliefs, or knowledge that previous generations had. Moments like the FBI raid are reflecting the historical and dangerous actions in countries far less free than the U.S. We should take note of the parallels in action and not look for identical implementations in our own time. Too many times people will say, well, it can't happen here because, after all, there's no gulag. After all, there's no gas chamber. But the naive person is the one who believes that it's dangerous when it's the same because it rarely ever is, and therefore they justify their apathy inevitably. Rather, we should see the parallels as having similar conclusions. Totalitarian persecution. Stalin's Article 58 is an example of a far darker era in human history, but whose tactics and implementation are frighteningly similar to ours today. The only people who wake up one day and say, how did we get here, are people who naively believe their country is immune to the sins that destroy nations and terrorize their citizens. What we are witnessing is a dialectical application of the law, an arbitrary application of the federal government's power that reeks of bias and political persecution. Or drugs and crack cocaine, if you're talking about Hunter Biden. The dialectical interpretation, though, is best defined by this quote from Solzhenitsyn. He says, and this is Gulag Volume 1 for those that wondering, that are wondering, Paradoxically enough, every act of the all-penetrating, eternally wakeful organs over a span of many years was based solely on one article. Article 58. Article 58 was great, powerful, abundant, highly ramified, multi-form, wide-sweeping, which summed up the world not so much through the exact terms of its section as in their extended dialectical interpretation. Let me say that again. Dialectical interpretation, end quote. In fact, Article 58 was so popular, there's actually a vehicle now for Tesla coming out. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No Article 58 model. The dialectical interpretation could be summed up in our phrase that we often use, damned if you do, damned if you don't. The point was that you could not get out of the law. There was no way to please the law. Trump claims that he cooperated with federal agents. Federal agents say he didn't. Who are you going to believe? Political commentators who are withholding judgment are saying that they better find something incredibly damning in order for them to justify this as anything other than a political attack, which obviously begs the question, how bad could it be? How bad is it going to be when they get the evidence from Trump's house? Are they going to find a sex tape of Trump and Putin together and letters exchanged between the two confessing their undying love for one another and Trump's handwriting scribbled in gold sharpie while Putin's is written in blood? Is SARS some perverted love romance that none of us saw coming? Maybe that's why Putin, after all, invaded Ukraine. Who knows? But seriously, how are they going to justify this? 
In Russia, you didn't have to worry about this, right? The system was unbiased. And the investigations conducted were always targeting the people before they knew they were even in the wrong. Minority Report called it pre-crime. I actually can't remember if that's actually the case, so correct me if I'm wrong. I'll update the transcript. Stalin called it Article 58. But let's get back in our time machine. For those young homeschooled Christians, Mr. Whitaker's imagination station. And let's visit Solz- <laughs> Side note, can you guys imagine if there was a Mr. Whitaker imagination station that said, let's go to, let's go to Gulag. <laughs> hey, kids, welcome to Mr. Whitaker's. We're going to go see Alexander Solzhenitsyn. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Back on track. For, again, let the reader understand. The, the homeschooler <laughs> stuck in his closet listening to Mr. Whitaker. So back in our imagination station slash time machine, we visit Solzhenitsyn in the terror that was Stalin's Soviet Union. What Solzhenitsyn means by the dialectical interpretation, quote-unquote, is the existence of your life being lived in contradiction. Or, rather, the obliteration of your existence through contradictory laws. Quote from Gulag Volume 1, once again, Solzhenitsyn writes, In Section 1, we learn that any action, and this is a parenthetical, according to Article 6 of the Criminal Code, any absence of action directed toward the weakening of state power was considered to be counter-revolutionary. End quote. Your action or inaction was incapable of satisfying the state. Solzhenitsyn called it the dialectical interpretation. We would call it the weaponization of our institutions. Or as we said earlier, damned if you do, damned if you don't. But let's continue reading. One important additional broadening of Section 1 on treason was its application via Article 19 of the Criminal Code, via intent. In other words, no treason had taken place but the interrogator envisioned an intention to betray, and that was enough to justify a full term the same as for actual treason. Now, you might be saying, yeah, but that's not as bad here because obviously we have to have intention beyond reasonable and doubt. We can't just say that they did this. Right. And so what they did was they had dialectical interpretation, meaning they reinterpreted intention as something else in order to get the result that they wanted. It didn't matter what was written. What mattered was the interpretation. So one thing that Solzhenitsyn does really, really well is he knows your objection before you say it, almost as if he lived it. And you might be saying, well, of course all laws are based on intent or beyond reasonable doubt. Well, yes, but what happens when the aim of reason is power and not justice? How does this taint the perception of the justice system? Solzhenitsyn will tell you, quote, true. Article 19 proposes that there be no penalty for intent, but only for preparation. But given a dialectical reading, one can understand intention as preparation, and preparation is punished in the same way, that is, with the same penalty, as the crime itself. And that's from the criminal code. In general, we draw no distinction between intention and crime itself. And this is an instance of the superiority of the Soviet legislation to the bourgeoisie legislation. Gulag, page 61-62. 
Now, the secret police knows best is ultimately what Solzhenitsyn's theme on Article 58 is. It was merely a pretext in order to justify investigation into the lives of private citizens and then form whatever crimes they needed in order to get the political result that they wanted. So let's listen to this quote from Solzhenitsyn once again. And again, I'm, I'm sorry for all the quotes, but, you know, Solzhenitsyn's so, so quotable and so relevant these days. He says, It was only the interrogator who, after consulting his revolutionary sense of justice, could separate what was intentional from what was unintentional. End quote. Now, once the state began an investigation in Stalin's Russia, it was the secret police who ultimately controlled your fate. But let's reread this as if it were written from an American's perspective on an FBI raid. Quote, and this is my rewording, so bask in greatness, friends. It was only the FBI agent who, after consulting his revolutionary sense of justice, could separate what was intentional from what was unintentional. Reworded by yours truly. Ah, but Daniel, we're not in a revolution. Really? We aren't? How do you think... How long do you think revolutions last? How long do you think the quote-unquote long march is? Well, let's just take a look at our own country for a minute. In Philip Johnson's Modern History, he demonstrates that America has been losing its freedom, freedoms since 1917. He recognizes that power, once acquired, never recedes its volition. In this quote, he is talking about John Dewey, who also made the same observation. Quote from Philip Johnson, John Dewey noted at the time that World War I had undermined the hitherto irresistible claims of private property. No matter how many among the special agencies for public control decay with the... No, sorry. No matter how many among the special agencies for public control decay with the disappearance of war stress, the movement will never go backward. This provided, this proved an accurate prediction. At the same time, restrictive new laws such as the Espionage Act of 1917 and the Sedition Act of 1918 were often savagely enforced. Oh, he can't use that word anymore. We gotta, we gotta, re, we gotta rework that so we don't get, get shut down. We're often viciously enforced. There, we, we got the savage out of the, out of the text. But I guess we took his land. We're in trouble. All right, back to the reading. The socialist Eugene Debs, because of its savage enforcement, got 10 years for an anti-war speech, and one man who obstructed the draft received a 40-year sentence. In all the belligerents, and not just in Russia, the climacteric year 1917 demonstrated that private liberty and private property tended to stand or fall together. Now, your challenge for this week is to use climacteric in a sentence with your friends, because that will be impressive. But there are two points to draw from Johnson. The first is that the U.S. has become totalitarian before, so there's no reason to believe that it couldn't again. This isn't conspiratorial. This is just history. And those who are sitting here believing naively that the government has your best interests in mind at this point are just as conspiratorial as those that they claim are conspiratorial on the other side. The second thing is, is that this totalitarian phenomenon followed an international pattern as demonstrated by Russia's own, albeit far more severe, version of totalitarianism. Meaning, there were gulags in Russia, and there weren't in America. However, both of them 
had a spectrum of totalitarianism that they were implementing. And we are seeing the same thing happen in our world today as Ireland and France and Canada and the Netherlands and China and these traditional, these countries all end up implementing their own version of a real strict ideological control on their people. We are seeing the same revolutionary ideas play out in the world with gender ideology, diversity, equity, and inclusion, leading a fascistic cooperation on a global scale that the world has not seen, mainly because they didn't have the unity of technology. But we will cover that impact in a later podcast. Suffice to say, technology has made it so that the synchronization of global politics is much easier than it has been in the past. What we find when we return to Article 58 is a series of charges that are intentionally vague so as to provide the Russian secret police a political task force to silence dissidents and uphold the failing economy by forced labor, with the power so extensive that it provided the agent with both the sword and the gavel. Quote, in other words, no treason had taken place, but the interrogator envisioned an intention to betray, and that was enough to justify a full term, the same as for actual treason. End quote. But the secret agents were not alone in their efforts. They had the Russian media to bolster the perceptions of the people and mobilize their outrage against the criminal in question. This was particularly the case with Section 10, which we will read in its fullness in just a moment. But suffice to say, this Article 58, Section 10, was used explicitly in conjunction with the media. And this is also a good reason why you can't read this book on Audible, because this was in the footnote. The wave of Section 10 was perhaps the most constant of all. It never stopped. Its waters became particularly swollen. Maybe I should, maybe I should, I'm going to test this out. I'm going to read this with, uh, with a Russian accent. Let me know, let me know what you think. The wave of Section 10 was, per- oh, that, that's, I, I'm going to speak, comrade. The wave of Section 10 was perhaps the most constant of all. It never stopped. Its waters became particularly swollen. This particular unremitting wave grabbed up anyone at all, at any moment. But when it came to outstanding intellectuals in the 30s, they sometimes considered it clever to fabricate a case based on some conspicuously shameful violation, like pederasty, or, in the case of Professor Plentinev, the allegation that left alone with a woman patient. He bit her breast! A national newspaper reports such an incident and just try to deny it. That was my best shot. There you go, Ken. The point here is the method of targeting, not so much the target itself. Trump is not a professor, but to argue that the media and the federal institutions are not pursuing him with a force paralleled by the Russians is to be in denial. It is the collusion of government with media entities that was the source of totalitarian rule and terror in the Soviet Union, and it is this mechanism that we are watching unfold before us now in the investigations into Trump. So let's look at what Section 10 said verbatim. It was based on propaganda and literary materials that you might have in your house. Section 10, quote, Its definition was propaganda or agitation containing an appeal for the overthrow, subverting, or weakening of the Soviet power, and equally the dissemination or preparation or possession of literary materials of similar content. 
The famous extensions of this famous section were as follows. The scope of quote-unquote agitation containing an appeal was enlarged to include a face-to-face conversation between friends or even between husband and wife or a private letter. The word quote-unquote appeal could mean personal advice, and we say quote-unquote could mean because, in fact, it did. Now, quote-unquote subverting and weakening the government could include any idea which did not coincide with or rise to the level of intensity of the ideas expressed in the newspaper on any particular day. After all, anything which does not strengthen must weaken. Indeed, anything which does not completely fit in, coincide, subverts. The term, quote-unquote, preparation of literary materials, covered every letter, note, or private diary even when the, only the original document existed. End quote. Now, the claim of the FBI is that they were searching for documents on nuclear weapons. This just broke as I was writing this, so lucky me for being late to the story. This is possibly the case, but we all knew that they were going to have to come up with something good in order for them to save a shred of their credibility. So there you have it. Trump was working on a do-it-yourself nuclear bomb in Mar-a-Lago with Legos and golden Sharpies. But all joking aside, because this is a serious podcast for serious thinkers, no funny, no comedy. The point with this section, 10, was that the government could and would find whatever it needed to in order to incriminate the individual in question. Quote, thus happily expanded, what thought was there, whether merely in the mind, spoken aloud, or jotted down? that was not covered by Section 10, end quote. If you think this doesn't happen in the U.S. already, think again. Listen to this interview from Jack Carr with Joe Rogan discussing what it's like to be interviewed by the Navy Criminal Investigative Service, NCIS. Carr was friends with Mark Owen, author of No Easy Day, about the Bin Laden raid. Because of his connection with Mark Owen, Jack Carr was brought into an NCIS investigation. Uh, right up to that point, and that was the tipping point. So when that book came out, that's when everyone said, or not everyone, senior level leaders were like, okay, stop, I'll stop. Um, and they really, well, because of that book, they went and, inve- and all the investigations that happened, they went in and uh, essentially anyone that had a connection with him, they pulled in and investigated as a way to put pressure on him to get what they wanted. Uh, so, so I was one of those guys, I've known him for since 99 or something like that. So we've been dear friends since that time. And so we have emails going back all these years. So I got pulled in to this interrogation room and they pulled out single personal emails, single sentences, totally out of context to try to get me for something that would put pressure on him. And they did that not just with me, but with almost anyone that had some sort of a connection with him, they investigated because he's already out of the military so, at this point. So things that you said totally out of context, like joking around about something or just, just statements about yeah, things? just statements like, what did you mean by, what did you mean by this? Um, and I used that in the first novel. What we see in Jack Carr's experience, as in that clip is something that could trickle down to the middle class in the coming days as the IRS begins to bolster its accountant task force. For more information on that, you can check the show notes with a link to the Daily Wire article on the Biden IRS, which is looking more like Ben Affleck's interpretation of the profession in the accountant. But 
The other section that is concerning in Article 58 is Section 14. And before I go into this, I think it's important to note that the reason why I'm piecing all of these things together is to show you that there is a movement, generally speaking, towards the subversion of your ability to know what's going on while the government knows exactly where they want you to go. And so they, they pressure, they have all of the power at their, at their disposal to make you whatever they want to make you. And you can see this happening at the highest levels, and if it's capable of happening there, then anyone with aspirations of doing something for their country is at risk for the same kind of treatment. Obviously, if you're just wanting to live a quiet life and not rock the boat and have no aspirations, you just want to wake up, go to work, come home, go to bed, and hope that everything is the same the next day, then you probably don't have a lot to worry about. You'll probably just put pronouns in your bio. You'll probably just keep doing whatever you need to do in order to keep the paycheck. But if you have a conscience, and if you are concerned and have any sense of patriotism towards your country, regardless of whether that's the United States or whether that's your country internationally, shout out to my international listeners, then you will find yourself needing to think about how you're going to live so that the next generation has a better life than you did. And that's how we should live. After all, God says, seek the goodness of the city, and that city was Babylon. So the other section in Article 58, moving on, is Section 14. And this one, I think, is more relevant to the Trump raid than the others. Section 14 stipulated the penalties for, quote-unquote, conscious, or for, quote, conscious failure to carry out defined duties or, or intentionally careless execution of the same. In brief, this was called sabotage or economic counter-revolution. It was only the interrogator who, after consulting his revolutionary sense of justice, could separate what was intentional from what was unintentional. Now, what we see with Trump's raid is not necessarily economic counter-revolution or sabotage, but based on what the news is saying, and I'm just reading the news, I'm not an expert on that, Reading what the news is saying is that there seems to be a, mis a, a, a mishandling of documents or responsibilities as president due to the Presidential Records Act. Now, I would recommend you go read the Presidential Records Act because, spoiler alert, the vice president is also subject to the same treatment. So, just saying. Now, eventually this would be applied to everyone, this Section 14, to poor farmers and to thieves. And this reiterates the point that these articles of Article 58 could be applied to anyone across the entire spectrum, and often were. But the targets that Solzhenitsyn describes is not the point. The sword and the gavel being contained in the same organization is the problem. Your interrogator determined your fate. Here, the FBI is demonstrating with their raid, there is no one that they can't come after, no one beyond their reach. Should you, little peasant, desire to climb the political ladder, know that they will be waiting for you, with sword and gavel in hand. You will make it only as far as they permit you to make it. Two days after Trump's home was raided, he was deposed. Of course, the media ran with the story because, well, how could they not? But it doesn't change the fact that the Attorney General just coincidentally decided to depose Trump right around the FBI raid in Mar-a-Lago. A similar thing happened with the FBI and Project Veritas. 
Shortly after having their apartments raided, they were asked for comment by the New York Times. And again, this is to reiterate that it's not the FBI working by itself. It appears that they are working in concert with other institutions, similarly to the way that the KGB or the NKVD or the GKVU or however many acronyms they decided to go through during the Stalinist era of secret police in Russia decided to work with the media and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and these other institutions. Yeah, but they're, they probably are getting in for some juicy stuff. Uh, no, not, not really. Just stuff that the new IRS task force could come and get you for if you work out of your home. Quote, and this is from the Daily Wire, court documents from Letitia James is James's office released earlier this year claimed that the Trump organization has overstated the value of land donations in New York and California, misreported the size of Trump's penthouse in Manhattan, and otherwise used fraudulent or misleading asset valuations to obtain a host of economic benefits, including loans, insurance, coverage, and tax deductions. Now, you might have missed it, but let me ask you, how much of a misreporting of a size for a penthouse is permitted? They don't tell you. They just tell you what he did wrong. But isn't that kind of important? Like, how many inches did he get it off? How many feet did he get it off? Did he use square feet? Did he use square meters? Was it a conversion problem? Kind of matters. Because we want to make sure that the law is being implemented justly. But how can you tell from this statement from her office? You can't. And that seems to be the point. The crisis we are in is one of trust. Who are you to believe? For those like myself, I may not know if Trump is innocent. But we must recognize that unprecedented activity demands unprecedented evidence, like golden sharpies in every room, handprints on every wall, showing the size that matters. For those that remember that story, it was pretty funny. I think he did a sharpie of his hand or something. But... A few nuclear weapons documents in an era when cyber attacks via logic bombs could cripple an economy or biological warfare could decimate a city seems unlikely to meet the standard to justify to the people that the raid was necessary. When the blade of the law is only cutting one way, we find ourselves in a difficult situation. A dialectical interpretation is unfolding before our eyes. Trump is damned if he does and damned if he doesn't. When the IRS comes and begins to audit you, you too will be damned if you do and damned if you don't. There is no way to look at this. The FBI screwed up. They either botched a raid and are looking for excuses. After all, do they really want the public to know that all a president has to do is stuff a couple folders in his bowling bag and he can have nuclear weapons docks in his resort? Doesn't national security warrant that they work with Trump to obtain these sensitive documents under strict secrecy in order to maintain their reputation of protecting the nation from leaks and theft? Whose fault is it if Trump was able to leave the White House with what appears to be accidental nuclear weapons documentation? And that's presuming that that's actually what they found there. But again, how are you or I even capable of verifying this? Well, we can't, and that's why trust is so important. Either way, they were looking for something else, or they were stupid, neither of which is good for the USA. We find ourselves at an extraordinary moment. For some, they will say, I've been saying this forever. But a nation as powerful as the USA is not perfect and is bound to have their mistakes. The mistakes, and when they do make these mistakes, they are more costly than smaller and weaker countries' mistakes. No country will be perfect, 
But when we see the most powerful country using the dialectical method in its application of laws and investigation, we should take, all take pause and recognize that we cannot merely be waiting it out or seeking survival as the basis of our political action. We must seek to reclaim what was lost. We must make our own long march through the institutions of culture, specifically education and religion. We must begin to create communities of education and worship. We must not merely get together and sing Kumbaya. We must be willing to make sacrifices. As James Lindsay, the well-known atheist, says, you have nothing better to do than save your country. Quote, or, <laughs> that's his quote. You need to be looking for ways to get politically involved. You need to be prepared to say no to government overreach and accept the consequences. That's the definition of submission, is to say, I am willing to take the consequences for me not following an unjust law. You need to be willing to be rejected by those closest to you. The victims of communism saw clearly, or see clearly, the darkness that is on our own horizon. And Rod Dreher depicts this very clearly through the many communist survivors that he interviews in Live Not By Lies, which we have covered in previous podcasts. Jack Carr saw clearly the dangers encroaching as early as 2017, when he wrote the prologue to his first book in the series, The Terminalist. Solzhenitsyn saw the, the tides turning in America and wrote a book called The Warning to the West. And the KGBD, KGB defector, Yuri Bezmenov, which you can find his video on YouTube or in the show notes, observed it happening in real time in 1984. And while he was wrong about the Russian superiority being able to outlast us, China seems to have adopted the same strategies that we are seeing in our own country that he described in 1984. There's no doubt we are in a dark time. I wish there was more hope to give you. But for those wishing for hope, you don't know what you're asking for. The gospel is a light in darkness. Christ says, the world will hate you, but fear not, for I have overcome the world. John the Baptist was imprisoned because he refused to recognize an illegitimate marriage. There is not a Christian in our scriptures that had a life easier than ours. Neither is there an Old Testament story of a prophet or a hero that had a life easier than ours. Every story, every example in the text is one of suffering, oftentimes a suffering that kills the hero or the protagonist or the prophet. But this is the hope that through death we have life. Christ as our example we are to take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow him. So how do we prepare for the days ahead? We ask God to teach us to number our days so that we can be wise. And we reflect on the lessons of those that God privileged to suffer and ask God not to prevent us from having to suffer, but that he grant us the strength, grace, and mercy to suffer and to suffer well. In the words of Solzhenitsyn, we find an accidental commentary on what one might call picking up the Russian cross. Quote, So what is the answer? How can you stand your ground when you are weak and sensitive to pain, when people you love are still alive, when you are unprepared? From the moment you go to prison, you must put your cozy past firmly behind you. At the very threshold, you must say to yourself, my life is over. A little early to be sure. There is nothing to be done about it. I shall never return to freedom. I am condemned to die now or a little later, but later on, in truth, it will be even harder. And so the sooner, the better. 
For me, those I love have died, and for them I have died. From today on, my body is useless and alien to me. Only my spirit and my conscience remain precious and important to me. I'm Daniel Roberts for Solomon's Corner. Keep thinking.